Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee. I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, guys. So we got plenty to talk about. Um, it's been a month since we've been on before. We're actually recording this on a Sunday morning. It is the 27th of March. So our prognostications about what's going to happen in the world of college basketball today are just that, prognostications, and we'll know soon enough whether or not we're wrong, which is probably yes. We'll talk, obviously, about baseball and the labor strife, um, and Tiger Spring training has actually been uh, quite interesting as well, and we'll talk about uh, the NFL and Tom Brady retiring and unretiring. Maybe we won't talk about that. All that and more ahead on the Saturday Morning Sports Important. So if we're going to kick off um, with college basketball, I suppose we can put a, a nice little lid on the uh, Golden Grizzly season and the uh, disappointment therein. Where would you like to start? I, I think the, the big takeaway here, and, and especially I thought the way the decision to not even go to another tournament, post-season tournament, if invited, really, I put, I thought, put the explanation mark on what the season was. And it really, I think the best way to say it, and it's kind of cliche, but Brandon, it was just disappointing, uh, especially down the stretch. And I, you know, the, the and I think, you know, the amazing thing, and I, I did a little bit of research this morning, and I don't want to jump ahead, but, you know, I was, you know, with St. Peter, of course, they're, they're the story of the tournament, right? And I I, I had a little bit of a, an idea in my head of what St. Peter, something I was going to look at specifically at them, and it's in relation to Oakland. And it's the point I've been making all year is that this team, Oakland is not deep at all. They got, they play five to six guys in a game, and I think it just catches up with them every season. And I look at St. Peter's. And they've got 10 players, not nine, you'll say they get considerable minutes. And basically, though, you can say 10 that are contributing to their wins in the NCAA and their incredible run. But getting back to Oakland, I just don't know because this has been a trend. And 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 with injuries and with the decision not to go to the postseason, it is because of the depth on this team being so lacking. And it's just that's the theme, disappointing lack of depth. Depth. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the bigger picture is even more concerning. And that's, you know, I, I would say, you know, three times in the last seven years, if I've done my math right, Greg Campy has had NBA talent on his roster and has produced no tournament appearances. And that's disappointing. That's tough. You know, you had Kay Felder, Kendrick Nunn, and, um, you know, Jamal Kane. You know, that's NBA caliber talent. You know, obviously, Kendrick Nunn is, is, you know, still got a career ahead of him. Kay Felder wasn't really able to make it. And, you know, I think Jamal Kane certainly will be a pro somewhere, whether it's in the NBA or not. But he'll get looks in the summer league. Um, but, yeah, they ran out of gas and really shocked by the way this team continued to collapse. And, you know, that is not something, you know, it's going to happen. But the frequency that this team would just fall apart. 
I mean, truly, in that champion in that game against Wright State was some of the worst basketball I've ever seen Oakland University play uh, when they gave up an eight to ten point lead, uh, and then Wright State just kind of ran past them. And you know that that is the kind of thing you would hope you know a can't be coached team would be able to to kind of take those things in waves, you know, and not fall apart the way they have. But just no identity. Uh, lazy basketball, which I, I think you can probably attribute to how much gas they had left on the tank, but just, you know, throwing up three pointers left and right, turn out turnovers, lazy passing. Um, yeah, it just, just so disappointing. I don't know where the, the program goes from here. Honestly, Jamal Kane will go. Maybe they lose a couple of their talent. They got some talented guys in Townsend and Parrish, and those guys are real good. Maybe some of them leave. I don't know. I don't know what to expect for this program, honestly. And and you're right. I mean, I I you know the 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 potential of you know some of these guys entering into the uh, recruiting pool, you know, is 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 always ever present for this program. And yes, they've been able to go out and get some guys, you know, from that pool as well, right? So I mean, it's a, I, I, to me, it's been more of a, a a give than a take. But but they've done pretty well, including Jamel, sure, Martin, right? Absolutely. Um, but but I, I I do wonder, you know, and 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 it seems like they're not able to get past that point. And they were able to do that a couple times in the in, when they turned Division One. And I, I, I have to, you know, and I, maybe this is sacrilegious almost, but you know, you you almost wonder. And and I know Coach Campy is a great guy. He has done wonders for this program. But is there a different strategy that needs to be taken? in a small program like this in order to get more talented players in here. And I, I, I don't, and, and I, 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 you know, the thing is that even when you look at coach Campy this year, did a great job of adjusting and, and basically they played as good a defense at the beginning of the season as they always have. So I, I don't want to put it past him. He can't adjust. And of course the other challenge you got is there's so many programs out there and I'm not really sure how a coach, if anyone can really maybe even, I don't know what the magic elixir is of some of these programs, especially like, if, you know, we brought up St. Peter's and whatever, but I, I don't know. And maybe it's just not something that can be offered at Oakland. And I, I don't know. I, I, I it's, it, it's, I'm for sure frustrated at this point. Yeah. Well, it's a good comparison with St. Peter's or it's an interesting comparison, I guess. Because what has made them successful, and I mean that from a program standpoint, not from this particular tournament standpoint, they're a school with 2,600-ish students. Oakland's what? It's got to be up to about 20,000 by now. Um, I mean, just that alone says to me there's something systemic going on here now part of it is you know does all of the the good talent in the area just go to u of m or msu but then again i mean it's not like st peter's is is on an island somewhere right so that's that's not that's that i mean i i don't know i I mean yeah i mean i don't i actually i don't know that there's St. Peter's is doing something extraordinary right now. True. Um, but they don't play in a very good conference and they're not a very good program. I mean, they, they just really aren't. I mean, they've made maybe two NCAA tournaments in the last 50 years. They have no other postseason tournament appearances 
uh, besides those two that I'm aware of. They haven't made any NIT since the 80s, I don't think. And the conference that they play in, Sands, Rick Pitino resurrecting, um, I think Iona or no, or he's at Siena, sorry. I mean, they don't play in a very good conference. I mean, Oakland plays in a better conference. Oakland plays better teams. Like St. Peter's doesn't play Michigan State. St. Peter's doesn't play Oklahoma State and West Virginia and Duke and all these other schools, the UNC. Like, there, there really is no – I mean, Oakland's program is vastly superior to St. Peter's, and yet St. Peter's is playing 10 guys against Kentucky and Purdue, and they're winning basketball games, and it's crazy. So it's just an anomaly. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll, I think I, so, yeah. I think it'll be interesting because I think we'll end up seeing how this bears out when Shaheen Holloway most likely will leave for a better job, right? I mean, I, yeah. I, mean, I can't imagine any – athletic administrator at this point who's not going to give that guy a phone call in a top oh, absolutely. program and, and actually and, and actually that was what you know i'm actually meant to bring that up you know is that you got to wonder what that does for the recruiting too you know having a guy who you know played big college basketball i think at seton hall uh you know was an all-american in high school you know you got you got to wonder what that does for the recruiting too but you know they're they're a sleepy school you know i, I just looked it up they made four tournaments since 91, none prior to that. But I think the point stands, you know, you know, they're, it really goes back to Adam's point. I mean, they have a system, they keep to it and they go deep. And, you know, there's a lot of teams in the NCAA tournament that do not, even the good ones, even the real good ones, uh, that are not going deep. Um, and you can see it's, it's, it's taken out these number one seeds that, that aren't going very deep in there, including Gonzaga, right? Not a deep team, you know, that just got worn down. Um, you know, by, uh, by a couple, by Memphis and then, you know, by Arkansas. So depth is the name of the game. And, and, you know, that's the thing about Oakland. If we've talked about that, I mean, we talked about it multiple times about them not being deep in reality. They had four players. I mean, that, that's, that's the reality of the situation. And that was never more evident than in the final game when only four players scored. Um, (laughs) And when you have Jalen Moore shooting three pointers and not hitting them, and, and that's not to pick on him. That's true of any. I mean, if you look at the beginning of the um, state Duke game where both sides were just, let's just throw the ball at the rim and see what happens. Um, I mean, that happens in, in these games. But but you, you can't survive with four players. You can't do it. You, you just can't. Uh, you can win individual games, but when you're playing – and the stakes of tournament basketball, be it the, you know, the, the conference tournament or, or the big one, unless you're truly exceptional, you're just not going to do it. And, and I guess we can even shift into the number one seeds, three out of the four were gone by the end of the sweet 16. I mean, that's not normal. Um, and yet here we are and, and we have a 15 somehow made it to the elite eight. Um, I mean, that's – so you had a two knocked off right off the bat. Um, now, obviously, you got a couple of two seeds in the Final Four, but still, it's um, it's interesting to see how this has evolved, particularly for those top teams. Yeah, and I mean, I think – and Adam, you know, I'm curious your thoughts. I think it, what I've really learned is that that just the we are gone or I think we know that parity is a thing in college basketball, right? And that the prevalence of 10, 11, 12 seeds doing well and having success has been it's been happening for quite some time. But I think what my real takeaway is 
there's very, there's really very little separation between the one seeds and the four seeds these days, you know, and it, you, you can just see that, you know, in terms of the athleticism, you know, the quality of the coaching, you know, they're just, you know, even, even in a loss last night, Arkansas, you know, this really showed as a four seed, like they can play with anybody, anybody in the country oh, yeah. had a bad night, lost to Duke could very easily have won a national title this year. Um, no, 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 you're absolutely right. And, and I think what it, what college basketball right now is, it comes down to, and you, you won't believe this, but Earl Weaver is a college basketball analyst. When he he talked about a three-run homer or die, and in college basketball, it's a three-point shot or die. And the thing, if you're not shooting your three-pointers, you're, you're done. And that, and, that, and, and that really is what the, this comes down to, is, is these teams absolutely are are absolutely dedicated to that three point shot, and the the challenge that you got too is that there's so many guys in college basketball today that can barely make a fifteen or twenty foot jump shot, and so it, if you can't make that shot, and and that's where I mean I've watched some really really bad college basketball games from this tournament, and everyone tell me oh my god it's so exciting March Madness and yada yada yada. I'll tell you what, some of these games are, are a brutal watch. I mean, you watched that Villanova uh, game yesterday. That that was a snooze fest. That was an absolute snooze fest. And I've got Villanova winning everything, right? And and I watched that, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. But just to kind of go back, I think one, one thing I want to talk about specifically is Shaheen Holloway, and I want to go back. When you see that guy interviewed, you know why people are playing for him. There, there, there is a charisma with that guy that you and you know why he has ten guys, nine, ten guys gutting it out on the court. They know that that guy knows exactly the the pressure point of human beings and the general way of communication and instilling confidence in a team that, quite honestly, and, and that's the I think Clark I thought Clark Kellogg really hit the nail on the head. This team is no longer a Cinderella. That 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 was gone. Two, two games ago. They're controlling the game. And why are they controlling the game? Shaheen Holloway has it in their head that they are going to win. And, you know, I keep on looking at this game today that, that we're recording before their game against North Carolina. And I, I have to tell you, I mean, North Carolina is one of those teams that I really thought could go a long way. Uh, and I thought they were a little better than their seeding. Um, and, and you want to make the argument that, that you know, St. Peter's is not going to win today. But, oh, by the way, I've made that thought the last three games now that they weren't going to win that game. And that, they've had an incredible path. I mean, a, a tough path to where they're at today. And there's really no reason to believe that they won't win today. And, yeah. and keep going. Oh, and by the way, uh, they might be, aside from Duke, the best mid-range shooting team left in the tournament. I mean... You know, they have hit some absolutely massive three-pointers in this tournament. They have to in order to be a, a 15 seed to move on. But where they really were, were kind of going blow for blow with Purdue is every time, you know, Purdue is jacking up long threes, hitting some of them, you know, they were coming back and hitting mid-range jumpers and floaters in the lane. You know, and it frustrated Purdue to no end, you know, and it frustrated Murray State too. Um, so, yeah, no, I completely agree. And, you know, to me, as soon as – um you know, as soon as St. Peter's was able to come down from the high of the Kentucky win and go out and beat a Murray State team that was 30 and two, that also played small ball, that was very experienced and had plenty of depth, that told me, like, okay, there's something, 
something's off, you know, like really off here. This is something very different that we're seeing. And then, you know, they, they take on a glass jaw Purdue team that has endless amounts of talent, you know, certainly a lottery pick in Jaden Ivey and they, they deliver another blow. And so I, I you got to believe that this ends soon, but I wouldn't bet against them. Look, just now, I mean, eight and a half point underdogs today. I mean, I, I it's tough to believe that they're even getting that many points for having sake, just from a camping perspective. So, yeah. Anything else uh, to kind of close out with Oakland or anything of that nature? You know, real quickly, quite amazing the run that Dukas made after they got obliterated mm-hmm. in the last game uh, at Cameron Indoor Stadium by North Carolina. They looked, I mean, they lost and probably, you know, all the talk about the, the it being the last game for Mike Krzyzewski, uh for the round and uh, make the performance that they have is um, really, really beyond notable. And even Jay Billis says that from the team that he saw down the stretch till now, it, that's, uh, um, you know, quite the story. Uh, and if North Carolina win, does win today against St. Peter's, then that's the first time Duke and North Carolina will face each other next week in a New Orleans uh, NCAA tournament. So that's you know, by the way, you know, we're, we're talking about all these teams and, and I, I do think Villanova will probably pull it off. Um, uh, I just think that they, Jay Wright is so unbelievable from a coaching perspective. Uh, but your thing, that Kansas team, I don't necessarily love their head coach, but. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, Kansas, it. Kansas may well winning this thing very under the radar. I mean, they're going to be a tough out. Kansas is going to be tough to get out of this tournament. And they were the least kind of sexy team of those number one seeds going into the tournament. You know, Gonzaga and Arizona were monsters. and um, But no, Kansas, you know, everybody's sleeping on them right now, but they could very well win this thing kind of going away. Uh, and then with Duke, you know, I think you just, they're, you know, they got a bunch of really good young guys and they're coming together at the, right, at the end of the season. Not all that different from the way you saw some of the development of the young guys in Michigan, you know, obviously at a different level here with Duke, but like they just look very difficult to beat, you know, and Michigan state gave them the best possible shot Michigan state could ever throw. Uh, and, you know, the Michigan state went seven for 10 in the first half from three and we're down four. That means something that means there's a talent disparity there. So, um, you know, if I were to bet, I would say Duke uh, is the favorite to win, but you know, Kansas is the number one seed for a reason. And, you know, I think it may not be the, the fun pick or the one that people want to see, but yeah. And then, oh, by the way, they're playing like a 10 seed today. So um, odds are they're, they're going to be walk, walking into the, the final four here. And, and lastly, as far as, uh, um, you know, Michigan and Michigan State, I thought with all the stuff that went on at Michigan, you know, toward the end of the season, I was pretty impressed with what they were able to do. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and there's no shame losing to Villanova at, at all. I, I mean, to me, uh, I saw a couple comments about, you know, w- you know, look at a good season for Michigan. I, I think for everything that did happen, getting to the Sweet 16 and getting knocked out by a team that very much could win this whole thing, that, that's a very respectable way, uh, you know, a respectable end to the season. So. Yeah, I guess, you know, I guess my question, uh, you know, just as we close this out, move on. But I, my question is a simple one. Is there is there any reason to believe 
that Michigan isn't the best basketball program in, in the state of Michigan right now. You know, I mean, I, I think the baton has clearly been passed. Um, and I'm not saying there's a huge amount of separation, but when you look from a performance standpoint, you know, fifth straight Sweet 16, two final, you know, two championship game appearances in the last 10 years, and Michigan State did lose a very, very good team uh, to COVID that would have likely been an Elite Eight or Final Fourth rep, but it just feels like there's two programs going in different directions. Well, I, I, I think there's validity to that statement. And I think, you know, uh, of course, then the question becomes, um, are, you know, ho- hopefully Juwan Howard is able to kind of put everything that happened at that Wisconsin game behind him. And I think that's really big. Um, and, and really the question becomes, too, with Tom Izzo, is that how, how much longer is he going to be at it? And once he steps away, who exactly are they going to be bringing in to replace him? Um, and I think that that's, uh, you know, so, but based on your timeline for the last 10 years, yes, that's a pretty accurate statement. So moving on from really the story of the moment in March Madness to the story that was um, the story for quite a while in the sports world prior to this and the Major League Baseball Collective Bargaining Agreement, and we'll get into spring training here as well, but um, last time we talked, um, we we were really kind of getting down to the brass tacks, and um, it's funny the way this all came together. And, and, and they never were that far apart other than they were being obstinate on a couple of issues and unnecessarily so, I think. And I think they finally uh, pulled their heads out of their collective rear ends. And this is mainly aimed at the owners uh, because they gave substantially um, on the economics to get this deal done, which they needed to do so because they had taken a hard line on a number of other areas and hadn't budged at all. So quick recap, um, players got pretty much what they wanted in terms of minimum salary requirements. Um, Owners pretty much capitulated on that Uh, $50 million arbitration pool uh, or pre-arbitration pool, um, which this is very interesting that it's going to be determined uh, based on a statistical calculation to be determined. So that's going to be very interesting to see how that plays into the future of the game. And I I don't want to get stuck on that at the moment. Um, The cap is going to be lifted more than what the owners wanted to, uh, the luxury tax cap, but they got to add in more penalties. Um, Other things include, we're now up to a 12-team postseason hallelujah rejoice that we're not going to have one game playoffs um because that is the second stupidest thing baseball has done in the recent history um 45 day window to impose rule changes that'll be kind of interesting to again see how that goes although we are going to see some rule changes fairly soon uh, including making the bases bigger which actually i think is a good idea um universal designated hitter it was inevitable. Uh, 16 draft lottery. Um, and then um, players can only be optioned up to five times a year. I think that was a nice win for the players. Um, it is not unheard of for a player to get optioned over 20 times in a season. And that's just, it's silly. Um, some stuff in there about service time manipulation, um, you know, kind of the Chris Bryant rule where the Cubs had Bryant down for one day in his rookie of the year season so that he wouldn't get his first year 
of eligibility. You know, he got delayed one year in ARB eligibility. That's a BS move on their part. And then um, we're going to go NASCAR with advertising and have patches on helmets and jerseys and all that good stuff. Um, makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit, but it doesn't, I mean, it, whatever. Um, and so that's, that's uh, the quickest possible recap of this CBA uh, while still hitting on all the major points. Uh, we can talk about rule changes. We can talk about other things, but um, they got it done. They've rearranged. They're playing a full season. They have done a nice job not throwing themselves off a cliff. The, the biggest question that I have not seen addressed as far as this goes, and, and maybe in the whole scheme of things, it's not that important, but my big question here is, how did we go? Like, I mean, I was reading tweaks with Jeff Passan, Tim Kirkigen, um, uh, Brittany Groley, and I mean, they basically, up to about an hour before the announcement on that Thursday that they had come to an agreement, had basically all thrown in the towel and said, there's probably not going to be anything. I don't know how we went from how the, the reporting was being done. And part of it was probably a lot of these spokespersons and, and their, uh, you know, syntax that they were offering. But I, Justin, I, I, and maybe I, I, and I went out and looked for like, how, how did we go from the end of the world to, Hey, we got a baseball and we're going to play a full season. And I, I, I have not seen that other than maybe a little bit of you helping there basically saying maybe the owners did have an epiphany and uh, I don't know. I, I do think that was part of it um, is they realized, okay, we can't push the players any further. They took it as far as they could and then finally decided amongst themselves, okay, we did the best we could. It's time to move on. And what's interesting though, and I think part of the reason why it seemed more dire than potentially it was, well, it's, it's really threefold. One is, I think in their minds, both sides, it was that dire, uh, at least for some of them. Two, I think it was the players who were most, and, and owners who were most outspoken, or really their spokespeople, that actually went to the media, sought them out, and gave them their opinion, not the people who were trying to get things done. I mean, the final agreement, the, the players, um, I think they voted, I don't know, like 12 of the union reps. Uh, dissented in this CBA agreement. So there was clearly not consensus on the player's side. Owners were unanimous. And so I do think Manfred got them corralled and on the same page. Um, and then, you know, the other piece of it is I think both sides were posturing to a degree. Um, no question Manfred was doing that. Um, but I think the players to an extent we're doing that as well so it, it, it's amazing to me though that people that are reporting a baseball 365 days a year were that thrown off as well you would have thought that they would have had a, a better feel for it but that that's neither here nor there to your point we got that's baseball oh it's an interesting point uh all those names you mentioned and, and then add ken rosenthal to that I mean, th these are people, Peter Gannett's, I mean, these are all people who, who know what they're talking about, and they were 
caught off guard. Uh, so I don't know, something happened. Maybe, you know, um, Manfred has magic powers and was able to get everybody to, you know, uh, you know, mind control. I don't know. That's the best I got. Well, t- time to move on to Lake One. So fair enough. Um, so spring training for the Tigers, um, you know, so far been interesting. I think as, as we know, with spring training, every team feels like it has a chance to win the world series in spring training, except for the Florida Marlins. And, you know, it, um, or they're Miami now, they're Miami Marlins now, sorry. Um, and, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's fun to see baseball, um, Tigers have made some interesting moves post CBA. Uh, Michael Pineda, that's good signing. Um, brought on a number of guys who, you know, on minor league contracts who might be able to to do a little something. Um, and then the big story is, okay, where do we go with uh, the young guys? Uh, I think it was really interesting that they said, Manning, you have a roster spot. Um that surprised me actually. I really thought he was going to compete and maybe start the year in AAA, but they said, Nope, you're joining the big club. And then the talk of Green and Torkelson uh, joining the team. I really honestly thought they both were going to start the year in AAA as well, uh, but be up during the season uh, because both of them have what 40 ish games at the AAA level. Um, but I don't know. Maybe if they, if, if, management thinks hey these guys are they're hacking they're out there playing good baseball let's, let's see what happens and i'm not against that and i wonder how much is aj hinks goes you know what we're gonna get this thing going we gotta get these guys up here and and probably the announce especially i think it was the other day uh, they they had some uh uh it was you know both their uh, at back in a row were like you know, just great job of just watching pitches and being patient and, and end up getting walks. I mean, I think AJ probably look at that and goes, you know what? We, we, there, there's nothing to be gained for them to go into to, uh, Toledo at this point. So let's just, you know, rip the bandaid off and let, let's, let's move forward. But Justin, my, my big takeaway so far from Lakeland, I, I have not seen optimism come out of Lakeland like this in a very long time. I don't even think the Jim Leland years were this optimistic. I feel like, you know, you get the reporting and I think part of it's just that youth movement, right. And, and, and how seismic and is the change. I mean, I, I it's almost like you're waiting for Sparky to, uh, you know, do a, to do an analysis and give us his favorite guy coming out of spring training. Tori Lovello. Yeah. Yes. And, and Pitaro. So, Pitaro. Um, yes. Um, but that's my, my, so far my takeaway and, um, and Justin, you know, and, and Brandon, you know, the, 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 there's little things that I'm kind of looking at as we get the season underway. Um, and one of them looks like it might be happening. Uh, and that was Casey Mize. Uh, I thought that, you know, in order for him really to take that next step uh, in terms of, of pitching and whatever, he was going to have to figure out how to do some strikeouts, you know, on, uh, you know, and get some strikeouts out there. And so far, it looked like maybe some of that progress has been made in spring training. So uh, I'll be, but that's something I will definitely be watching out for as the uh, season goes along. Um, but the other thing too is it seems like the optimism for this offense seems to be picking up speed like a locomotive at this point. So. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the it's the the unknown is always very attractive, you know, and 
especially with the Leland team's post-Cabrera deal, you know, you were expecting a playoff contender. You were expecting a World Series contender. And so, in a way, we were always excited. But, you know, once you, you kind of got over that hump with Cabrera and you had him in place and everything had settled down, you know, you were waiting to win World Series and things don't get interesting until August and September in those days. So, you know, and I think that's a little bit of a difference where it's now is what can this team be? You know, when I think about Green and Torkelson, a couple of things came to mind. Curious on your thoughts. You know, one was, I, I think I do agree, Adam, with your kind of rip the bandaid off. Um, but I'm also thinking about this from a financial standpoint, too. You know, uh, the Tigers have spent money. Their payroll is still pretty middling. Uh, even with all the spending, but it seems like there was a bit of a fork in the road here to go out and sign, not him, but a Nick Castellanos or to, to experiment with these guys, you know, because if they wanted to be, you know, a mid eighties team, you know, flirting with, you know, those expanded playoff spots, you either have to think that these two guys are going to come up and hit the ball real well, or you still had to go and keep spending because you just didn't have the bats you know, to, to be a playoff contending team. And so, and nobody's going to knock them for going with the youth movement, you know, whether how much it was financially motivated or not. I do wonder given the mindset uh, of the ownership, frankly, um, you know, but I, I think, can anyone blame them? Is anyone not going to be excited to see these guys come up? And I think Torkelson's ready to play first base right now. And so I don't know about green, but I think Torkelson's an, a major league player right now. I will tell you what's most interesting about Riley Green is, as I'm kind of preparing for a couple of fantasy baseball drafts, the opinion on him is all over the board. There's people that think he will be one of the best baseball players out there uh, in the in the coming years. And they think he, he's a five-tool uh, player who will be incredible in the field. And there's other people that just think he's just going to be, he'll be good, but not far from great far 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 from great and um you know and I, I when i'm thinking about the makeup of this roster and you think about you know one of the guys that has been talked about quite a bit especially when he hit uh, a home you know being left-handed and he hit a home run off a left-hander is I, I and i'm reading again the same you know the same people with their opinion kind of riley green and everyone thinks the sky is the limit for a guy like akil badu and I, I and, and I guess I kind of go back and, and, and Justin, I'm wondering if a guy like AJ Hinch just thinks that, yes, this team is going to be a lot better than even even he maybe thought a year ago, you know, the franchise could be better. And it's just with the biggest question to me is could be that pitching staff and, and staying healthy. Yeah. So, one, I do think Hinch thinks we're ahead of where we were. Um, I think everyone thinks we're <laughs> of where we were i mean they won 77 games last year none of us thought they were even going to be in the realm of that i mean first off that was fantastic um akil badu none of us thought he was going to have the kind of season he did brandon was throwing up his arms saying why on earth you know over Kristen stewart or, or what have you and and, and he, that was a valid point you know uh and he came out and he did great um, and then the young arms came out and they really put together a really solid plan and have just continued to execute. And I guess kind of taking us back to what we talked about, uh, during the college basketball conversation is about program and putting together 
something that makes sense that's coherent from bottom to top. And one of the reasons why the Minnesota Twins were successful for so many years, despite having one of the lowest payrolls, is consistency built from bottom to the top with Garden Hire and Rick Anderson and, and some of those guys who were there forever. Um, just saying, okay, this is how the organization does it. And this is one of the things, and it's an unsung thing, and nobody outside of you know me and a handful of other people really give a flying leap about it. But Al Avila has done a magnificent job in building the front office and, and the support staff on the field. He took, he, and granted, he could have, he could have done good just by accident, just because we had no analytics department. We had no, um, we barely had strength and conditioning. Uh, we barely had um, player performance, but they've been building, for example, the player performance department, and they've gone so far as to do what other major league teams have done. And they have sensors now in the batting cages. So if a player is shifting their weight a little too much, they get those analytics numbers and say, Hey, Mr. Player, you're shifting your weight a little too much. And they have that throughout the organization. And so that they can watch how the players are performing. They've installed it at all of their ballparks. So they can do those deep analytical analyses of what's going on. And it, it seems almost ridiculous at this point, but it's effective. It's effective. And because teams wouldn't do it if it wasn't effective. And the Tigers have gone from, from, from the scene in Moneyball where Billy Bean is surrounded by a bunch of ancient scouts to them actually, you know, being a bunch of uh, you know computer nerds sitting around a table, telling them what's going on. I, I mean, I, and I'm making gross generalizations, but but the key is, the Tigers are putting together a consistent program. They've 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 cleaned house in terms of on-field staff, new coordinators, new everything, and I think some of those dividends are starting to pay off already. Um, so. That's, that's my two cents on why the Tigers are, are where they are and why they're headed that way. And as it pertains to Riley Green, I think Riley Green's going to be absolutely nothing but an amazing baseball player. I would not be surprised if he surpasses Spencer Torkelson. So that's my opinion. Uh, high K rate is about the only knock you have on him. Um, and he walks quite a bit. Um, He's been spectacular at every level of baseball. Um, yeah, you never know what's going to happen, right? I mean, you never know. He could blow out his knee next week. I don't know. But um, I think the tig Tigers have something incredibly special in Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson, who's going to be a really, really good Major League Baseball player, too. And, and, and going back to the, the point that you made about the front office and whatever, I mean, there, there's uh, um, the, the analytics uh, and, and that has specifically really um, is how they arrived at really going out and getting Eduardo Rodriguez. Right. And, and the 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 uh, the analytics says that he is a guy that if you get him in Comerica Park should be a very, very, very good pitcher. Uh,
seems like you know another guy i'm 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 very curious about how he plays because he's going to have the most support around him that he had in his career here and that's jammer candelario um and i think he uh is a guy that has performed very well from an analytics standpoint with the only uh thing against him has been the the lack of power that he exhibited though last season he kind of got going a little bit um and uh seems like the uh the baseball uh, analytics community thinks that maybe this is the breakout season for him which i think uh, of of all things that you would expect that was not necessarily on my list until it's starting to, to read stuff and, and whatever so um but to your point uh, justin yes it is very exciting um at the same time uh, i try to call the spring brings eternal hope and, and whatever because we know how that works uh but uh very very excited to get this season underway uh thankfully a, a delay uh the one benefit is with the weather the way it's been uh i don't really know how much baseball we'd actually be playing in michigan right now so yeah for sure um, and, and this is not to say, to be clear, that the Tigers aren't going to struggle at times uh, this year. And again, when you have a young team, you will run into problems. This will happen. See, you know, uh, Red Wings, comma, Detroit. You know, I mean, you're going to have it, going to have it. And there are going to be other games where you're just going to sit there and go, wow, I can't believe that just happened. Well, and I and think the other thing, oh, I, I, what I was going to say is, you know, they're in a, they're now what's a, an interesting division. Uh, I think the narrative coming into the season would have been upstart Tigers. Can they knock the White Sox off the block? The White Sox have all the veteran depth, you know, whether or not we like how their team is assembled and whether, you know, whether it's certainly not or their manager, whether they are positioned to be successful in the long term. None of the, I don't know, but right now they have a whole lot of very good talent in Chicago and they're the clear favorite, but Minnesota, I, they're going to be dangerous. I mean, I don't know fully what, you know, the long-term roadmap is for them, but some very bold moves. And I think clearly uh, are the winners uh, of the late end of kind of the free ed- free agency trade market. I mean, they fleeced the Yankees in my opinion. And then the Correa signing, I think is a, an astute one, you know, it's a, you know, it's a double-edged sword, but at the same time, they can disconnect themselves from a $30 million contract just as fast as he can. So they got him for a year. If he does great, he'll leave. And then, but then they're off the hook for all that money and they can go and, and reinvest it right back into that team. And so I think Minnesota is going to be dangerous, really dangerous. And I think what they're doing, and I, I don't think that they have the, the same quality of depth that we have. Um, but is that, I, I guess I would come back to the question I've asked over the years is when the time is right, will Al Avila be able to pull some of the stunts that the twins did for, for instance, in this offseason? you know, in order to get them over that hump. Right. And, and all their signings were very solid and very controlled and disciplined. You know, the Pineda one was the one I was most curious on your thoughts, Justin, as I watch Matthew Boyd, Andrew Smiley signed for less elsewhere. I thought that was interesting that they would elect to go with, you know, a guy a bit older and much more of a risk reward proposition with him, with his arm. So um, it it was interesting. It It was actually to me, the one signing that they made that was off brand, uh, for the other four major moves, in my opinion, uh, you know, Baez, Rodriguez, uh, Chafin, and uh, the catcher, uh, Bart, Barnhart. Burkhart. Yeah, Burkhart. Yeah, all very, very solid, established players. Barnhart, yeah. Barnhart, um, yeah. yeah. And the Pineda one is a little bit more of that high risk, high reward. 
Yeah. Um, now, keep in mind, Boyd is going to miss a pretty decent amount of the season. Um, and so I think that definitely, um, I think the Tigers would have kept him around if that weren't the case. If Boyd were coming into the season healthy, he would still most likely be on the roster, even with the higher our uh, numbers and what have you. Um, in terms of Smiley, uh, you know, he's had the same arm problems. Um, so it's, it's six of one half dozen of the other. Um, and I just think it's, it's, it's a flyer, you know, I, they were after, uh, what was it? Grinky. They were after a, a variety of guys. And so this is, you know, they went, they went to the, the swap meet and saw what they could come up with. Uh, meh. Um, you know, I was actually more pleased that they re-signed Willie Peralta to a minor league deal. Um, now he won't be in camp for a little while, uh, but he pitched well for the Tigers last year. He gave them quality innings and they're still going to need that because their pitching staff, their starting pitching staff is thinner than I would like. Um, because again, we're not going to want to ride guys like Mize and Scooble for 200 innings yet. Um, they're still building up their stamina. Um, as much as it pains me to say that, by the way, because, you know, I think they should be throwing 300 innings. But um, the reality is, of course, that it's it's not like that anymore. Um, so they, they the Tigers need to have as many arms as possible. So wasn't overly elated by it, but wasn't like, oh, that's a bad signing. Yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad signing either. I was just curious, uh, given the market, you know, and, uh, you know, valuing righty over lefty uh, as well. So I really hope they had gotten Grinky, to be very honest with you. Yeah, uh, that really would have I think that would have been a bit of a, a coup. So. Nevertheless, um, it'll be fun. It's gonna, it should be a fun season. Um, and we're actually going to have a team where we know who the starting nine is on most days. Uh, when was the last time that happened? Ten a years while. ago? <laughs> yeah, at, at least, right? At least. And, and, uh, and even at that, I mean, there was a regular rotation of about 13 guys in that, you know, I mean, you make a great point, though, is that there, there's going to be probably a very solid set of, of guys and not a whole lot of, of variability, even compared to the leeling years where you get a lot more guys in there. So, Well, and I mean, I think that, that's I think we're actually and this is a credit to the front office and Avila. I mean, we've reached that point of the rebuild. Right. I mean, when you if you take. Torkelson and Green out of the farm system, the farm system's gone, right? I mean, and, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean, like the talents developed. If you give Manning a roster spot right out of the gate, and Mize and Scooble and Green and Torkelson, if all those guys, none of those guys are in in the minors anymore, that's it. The cupboard's bare. I mean, there's some good players down there. I think we got a couple of guys ranked around forty or fifty, but by and large, I mean, like. Green and Torkelson are both top 10 prospects right now in baseball. So take those guys out of the farm system. It's time to win. It's time to go. You know, there's no, there's no cavalry coming other than, you know, a player here or there that's intriguing or exciting. Uh, you know, that's probably a few years off. So, I mean, now's the time. Yep. I mean, that's it. You got three guys who were top 10 prospects 
in my Sturgelson and green. So yep. <laughs> you really can't ask for a lot more than that. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting because the Tigers, for the first time in a long time, are going to have some guys at, at AAA who maybe belong on a major league roster. Um, and that's, again, that's very different. And and what we saw in the offseason was the same thing. Uh, we had guys leaving our team. Typically, they would go to uh, Korea or Japan or independent leagues. This year, they were signed by other teams. Nico Goodrum got a nice little deal. You know, Boyd got picked up. I mean, it 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 means that the level of talent on the team is getting higher, which it, it I mean, it's about time. <laughs> um, and let's see what happens. So with that in mind, I know we wanted to uh, touch on a little bit of NFL um, and uh, the off season and things of that nature. Uh, Adam, why don't you uh, kick us off there? I, you know, Justin and Brandon, one of the things is I, I always, you know, heard, you know, the NBA offseason was, you know, usually incredible just because of the trades and a lot of the free agency. And the, this season, I we've seen, um, one, the sheer moving of quarterbacks is just off the charts at this point where I, I don't not one year of my watching of the NFL have I ever seen anything like this or even imagined, you know, the the, the changes, if you will. Uh, of course, the uh, traits of Devontae Adams and, and uh, um, Tyreek Hill uh, uh, was rather incredible. Um, and, and, you know, when you look at, you know, uh, you know, right now you look at uh, uh, Green Bay, who I, I'm very curious what they're going to be able to do in the draft and replace the losses at, at wide receiver that they have, um, especially considering the big contract that uh, they gave Rodgers to come back. Uh, I'm very curious about Russell Wilson, who I watched a lot of last year and I thought was just I. I I hope for Denver's sake and Denver fans' sake, who, uh, uh, an organization that is ready to win, that Russell Wilson is able to perform uh, uh, at the level that we're, we are used to. The last year with, with receivers like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, it was kind of meh. And, and to be honest with you, I, I think the best move, the best trade I've seen is the Indianapolis Colts going out and getting Matt Ryan. Um, I think Matt Ryan for the first time playing under a uh, um, offensive coach outside of the Arthur Smith one year um, to be able to go in and, and play for Frank Reich. Uh, and I think Frank Reich will feel uh, fairly renewed, not having to worry and, and deal with Carson Wentz. Uh, and I, I think actually that could, that's probably maybe the best move that we've seen any of these teams make this offseason. I think you're right. I thought the Ryan was great. You know what you're going to get from him, and you don't have to worry about injuries the same way you do with Wentz. Now, Wentz was phenomenal last year. I mean, his numbers were outstanding. But, you know, with him, it's so temperamental, both from a, a mental standpoint and a physical one. Um, but, no, just, I, you know, the Russell Wilson deal, I was stunned by the reaction to that uh, in the media, and everyone loved it. I thought it was an atrocious trade by Denver, absolutely atrocious. They are nowhere near as close as the Rams were. Uh, when the Rams made the Stafford deal. So, you know, and they're in a buzzsaw of a division. And so I, I mean, I feel the urgency in them wanting to win, but, and I think Russell Wilson is a phenomenal quarterback. I don't know how much he has left, but the deal was terrible for them. Just terrible. I, I did, I did not understand it at all. The reaction to it. I, I did not understand. Well, I think everyone loves Russell Wilson, right? I think that's, you know, he, he is, 
someone who is very much liked by the media. Uh, and um, I think there's a lot of people that thought he was maybe getting wronged, if you will, by the Seattle organization. It just seemed like Pete Carroll and the organization was just kind of lost and didn't really have a direction. Um, and I think that's where, but at the same time, it's like, I, 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 you know, to your point, what I saw was Russell Wilson kind of running out of gas last year, and maybe he'll be renewed. Maybe he will be renewed. And, and that team is very good. But the problem that just like we were alluding to with the Tigers being an upstart in an extremely good division, um, that, that division that he's going to is going to be tough to say the least. Yep. No doubt about that. Is it, but that's where is that where Devontae Adams ended up too? Oakland or uh, the Vegas? Or yeah, LA. Yeah, Vegas. Vegas me. Okay. Yeah. okay. Same division. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm. I, I mean, I you know, I I think I'm really I'm, even with all the moves that Denver made. I mean, if you look at the way the Chargers loaded up, I mean, I really couldn't look anyone with a straight face and put them any lower any higher than third in projections for who's going to win that division. So, you know, the Chiefs are, are you know, just dealt Tyreek Hill and got a whole bunch of draft picks that they're going to use to load up talent across their roster. The Chargers went out and were, you know, blowing stuff up left and right and throwing money everywhere and trading for, you know, Khalil Mack, and so they're going to be good. So, I, I don't know. I don't know. You could always be the Lions and do absolutely nothing. Well, I was going to um, bring that up is the Lions have basically done nothing. Um, like, I'm confused. And then I'm they're going to really draft confused. a safety. And then they're going to draft a safety. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can just see it as clear as day. The way, you know, they, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. And this is kind of where I'm like, you know, Brad Holmes had a good draft last year. So I got I to gotta own that one. But, you know, this is where I almost kind of feel bad for Campbell. I mean, like. Oh, so you only want to win two or three games again? Okay, well you're on your way. Like this is this is ugly, you know. It's ugly. They were a bad team last year, and they've not done anything in the off season, basically. Nope. Correct. I'm. I'm. I mean, I mean, we expect the Lions to 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 just do whatever the dumbest possible thing is. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised by this, but. Well, a little surprised by this one because normally uh, at least they go out and do something. Yeah, but the problem is that hasn't gotten you anywhere, right? I mean, that, that's really in, in many ways. I mean, and, and that's actually kind of the <laughs> that's that's, a good but, point. But <laughs> using that argument, Adam, they should disband the team because there are there is there is nothing to do. There's nothing to do. They've you know, done everything one would do, so it's right. just time to disband the team. No, but 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 that's where I I I don't really even get that excited. But I mean, some of these traits they're very interesting and good to talk about, but. I, I be very, I'll be very curious as to what the overall impact is to some of these teams in terms of because typically free agency is not something that uh, there's not really a direct relationship between improvement and free agency when you look at the NFL in, in, in a lot of ways. And that's where I'm not, I mean, and, you know, like looking at some of these contracts, the wide receivers got, it was just absolutely breathtaking, you know, like the one that uh, uh, Christian Kirk got down in, in uh, um, you know, down in Jacksonville. Uh, um, and, and to think about 
what you're going to end up having to pay in. And quite honestly, I have no interest in putting that type of money there. Uh, I, I, you know, unless you can get a guy in your front seven on defense uh, or, or someone impactful, um, you know, like a cornerback, uh, I, I think a lot of the money that gets spent in um, uh, free agency is just it, it kind of fool's gold. I mean, Brandon brought up Khalil Mack. I wonder how much Khalil Mack has in the tank at this point. And he's been suffering from a lot of injuries too. So I, I, that, I, that's just an example that you were nice enough to bring up. And I, you know, and, and I, and especially with Riley, their head coach, I, I have to tell you, I was kind of unimpressed with some of his late game time decisions that he made as Chargers coach last year. So. Um, yeah. I, I think it's a fair, a fair point. I just, you know, the, what that tells me is that, you know, they don't really think they have any foundational pieces in their future on their roster Correct. because, you know, and, you know, you're a year into the rebuild and you're already saying that's, so that's rough. Um, you know, and you know, the way that this draft class is shaping up and it's not all their fault, right? They, they don't seem like they're going to get that foundational piece this year. So now you're banking on next year, you know, and it just, it just feels like there's no momentum and, you know, I'm, don't believe they should have gone out and gone on the spending spree by any means. But if you just look at like little things you can do to make a team competitive, like just random Jacoby Brissett signed a one year, $4 million deal, right? You bring back a guy that should not be playing professional, anything anywhere of any kind. We had a, we, we already covered our backup quarterback, right? Jamison Crowder, one year deal worth up to 4 million could have brought him in for depth, give golf more weapons. I mean, they didn't have to go out and throw the crazy money, do the crazy trades, you know, all that good stuff, but they didn't do anything. I mean, no, like no creativity, you know, and this is where, you know, you at least give a bit of credit to, you know, some of the moves that Iserman or Troy Weaver have made to try to put veteran talent, you know, on those teams, even in the midst of some not great years, right. You know, going out and getting a Nick Letty, right. Getting a Kelly Olnick, you know, it just moves that, you know, you're trying to help build a little bit of momentum and a little bit of culture and the, the Lions foregoing <laughs> that that opportunity. Well, I, I think for the Lions, I think the big thing was that they're extremely committed um, to not signing yeah, like older guys, um, you know, like Alan Robinson you know, and stuff like that. I, I think that was what they were wanting to avoid. So that they, so I think when uh, the, you know, the uh, safety from New Orleans that went to uh, Baltimore, that was the guy, Marcus Williams, I believe his name is, 25 years old, that's exactly within the frame of, of what they're going to do and, and how they're viewing, the you know, how they're going to build the roster. I totally agree, though. It, the the offseason has been underwhelming, um, and now you're really banking on, again, you you drafting really well. And part of it was just the talent that was available last year uh, in the draft. I mean, it went down to, like, you know, the first 14, 15 picks that you could get a Hall of Famer, for heaven's sakes. That's not the case this year, right? Um, now, in the end, uh, yeah, you're right. You're looking at maybe Hamilton. Quite honestly, I'm hoping Jordan Walker uh, um, is your uh, – the down lineman from uh, 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 Georgia is, is your pick. I think he is the most upside and most impactful to this team next year. Um, but 
I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. And, and I agree. They look underwhelming and I, there's no need to sit here and defend them. I mean, they have to go out and win football games with the only thing that they have in their favor is their division stinks. So, um, and, and there's, you know, and, and regardless of how they played last year, uh, they do have an opportunity being better this year, just because their division stinks. So does anybody want to take a guess? at who the number four highest paid Detroit Lion is currently. So, you know, you got Goff, obviously, and and uh, Decker. They're the top two. But number four was really interesting to me. Well, Hawkinson's still on his rookie contract, so it can't be him. Um, it, you could deal with the, the guard uh, from uh, Vitae. What, you know? is, it, is it DJ Shark? I mean, he's got to be close. No, because he he signed actually a really, really team friendly deal. Um, uh, no, I got Shark uh, going on def- going on defense. Uh, well, don't um, don't don't shy away from uh, rookie contracts too much. Oh, so what? Penny Cool? No. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know. How about Jeff Akuda? Akuda, Akuda, yeah. Ooh, woof. T- ten games, ten games he's played thus far. Well, it's the gift that you got giving on this roster, that's for sure. So uh, that the uh, the Patricia Quinn uh, um, uh, generation uh, continued to help. So um, Trey Flowers is uh, enjoying his his ten million dollars somewhere, and they got rid of him, <laughs> counting his money. Yep. So I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, it's the Lions, so let's not hope or wait too long. Nope, nope. There's... Have to see how it shakes out, though, at the same time. So Anyway, I think that's going to wrap it up. Um, we'll definitely be next time around covering uh, the Pistons and uh, maybe Cade Cunningham's inability to get free throws despite being punched in the face, um, the Red Wings and their desire to play football score type games. Uh, yeah, that 10 and 7 loss, that was a good one. Um, just one thing, really quickly, I meant I couldn't get it out of the wire for NFL chat. Uh, guess who just got paid, though? Name someone by the name of Lakin Tomlinson. Yes. Talk about the wonderful Lions player development. He just got a $40 million contract and is one of the best offensive linemen uh, in the game of football. So good job, Tigers, letting him go after two years. Or Lions, excuse me. Well done. Well done. Didn't actually know that one. Mm. Yeah, he just re-signed with uh, San Francisco after really anchoring their offensive line for the last couple of years. I remember him being successful after he left. Um, but uh, same with Quandre Diggs, right? You know, they they shipped him out for almost nothing, and he signed a yep. pretty nice contract with uh, the the uh, Seahawks. So yeah, no, I I, it's, I mean they they got rid of Tomlinson quick too, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. With I think it was within two years they just traded him. Like, oh yeah, you're you're not going to be I think worth they, anything. I think they traded him. So, and he immediately became a starter in San Francisco, and it started at Almost every single game since. I don't think he's even missed a game or two since then. Just crazy. How do you miss that bad? Well. You work at it. You you work at it. 
right? You you almost have to try to be that bad. So with that in mind, that should be the, the lion's motto. You have to try to be as bad as us. Uh, you got to work at it. You got to put in the effort. Get it in the reps. With that in mind, that will wrap it up for this edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. Join us next time around. Like I said, we'll definitely get to some more basketball and hockey. Um, Tiger season probably will be underway by then. And uh, whatever else will be going on, the Masters will be coming up um, and a variety of other fun things. So for Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name's Justin Lee, and thanks for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. Did you kill the recording?